I'm Mark Caro, and welcome to the fifth episode of the Caro Pop Podcast. I am honored to introduce this episode's guest, Ricardo Muti, music director of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra and one of the world's all-time great conductors. As a Chicago Tribune reporter, I covered Maestro Muti and the CSO on three European tours, including one that went to Russia and Muti's home country of Italy, and those were highlights of my career. So I was delighted, to say the least, when he agreed to sit for this interview. We spoke in his quarters in the Symphony Center basement after a CSO rehearsal on a Tuesday afternoon earlier this month. He has made this room his home, with photos covering the walls that span his life and that of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. Up in the concert hall, he had been running the orchestra through Tchaikovsky's Symphony No. 6, Pathétique, with his usual combination of good humor and clear vision. He knows how he wants the music to sound, and he will sing the parts and describe the emotions he wishes to evoke in order to get the orchestra on his page. When the low brass kicked in during the first movement, those of us in the seats jumped. Ricardo Muti is 80, but has the vigor of a much younger man. He has been the CSO's music director since 2010 and recently renewed his contract to run through the end of the 2022-23 season. He also continues to conduct with the Vienna Philharmonic and other world-class orchestras. He has won multiple Grammy Awards and has received just about every international honor imaginable, many of which I would struggle to pronounce. Among them, he was presented the Birgit Nilsson Prize, classical music's biggest honor, a $1 million award presented once every three years. Early this year, he received the first ever the Sanctus Europa Prize in recognition of his contributions to culture. Maestro Muti is a fierce advocate for culture, which he distinguishes from mere entertainment, and he speaks passionately on this subject here. He also has donkeys at, and sometimes inside, his home in Italy, and you'll hear about those too. And if you feel like you don't know enough to appreciate classical music fully, he'll set you right on that count too. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Ricardo Muti as much as I did. We just came from a rehearsal. Uh, you were you were rehearsing Tchaikovsky Symphony Number no. Three, and I was wondering what does it feel like for you, whether it's in a rehearsal or during a concert to just be standing in the middle of these greatest musicians in the world making this music? Like, what does that feel like? Uh, today, I had a special feeling because uh, uh, when I came uh, to the Chicago Symphony after a very long absence uh, and in, uh, in 2008, and I went uh, on tour with the orchestra, one of, in one of the programs, I played the Pathetic. And so uh, then uh, I did again uh, when we played the entire Tchaikovsky cycle of the six symphonies and the Manfred symphony. And so after several years now, I'm going back to the, uh, this uh, uh, great symphony and I can, uh, can feel the difference. I mean, in 2008 was a, a great orchestra, so I we should not. <laughs> I I had not to discover <laughs> something that the entire world uh, knew and knows. But today I had very clear the 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 the, the, um, the feeling that uh, uh, the orchestra and um, understands uh, uh, perfectly uh, all my emotions, all my gestures, uh, all my musical ideas, and uh, they uh, are part of me as um, I and them and they, we are one thing. So uh, the first time I was uh, conducting a great orchestra playing the Tchaikovsky Symphony, the Pathetic. Today I had the feeling that we were playing together the same, uh, with the same interpretation, the same feelings. We were 
a unity. Right. And uh, that, uh, of course, uh, gives me an enormous uh, uh, pleasure and also um, pride, uh, you know? I don't know if the right word, I don't want to sound arrogant. Um, that shows that all these years we have been working uh, very well together, uh, respecting each other, and uh, the result we can uh, have today. The orchestra uh, is not anymore uh, the, 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 the orchestra uh, famous in the world for the great uh, and unique brass section, uh, but uh, it re remains a unique brass section, but I think also we can say a very special group of woodwinds, fantastic woodwind players and fantastic string players. What was it like for you? There was a long absence before you came back for this, you know, residency. What was it like to sort of be back performing with them for the first time in so long? Mm -hmm. First, uh, I have to say that uh, in these 19 months, we have been uh, um, always in contact. Uh, the musicians, many of them wrote to me. Uh, I sent them uh, back uh, messages. Uh, they sent me also musical messages, and I sent them a video playing a, a Schubert Walzer uh, that they appreciated very much. A very nostalgic, beautiful uh, waltzer full of uh, nostalgia, as I said. And uh, and also, um, I had the possibility to uh, teach uh, the two uh, quartets um, uh, of young musicians, uh, one made by um, students, and one was a quartetto of uh, African-American uh, boys and, uh, and girls. And uh, I remember that they were not only very good, but was a first oboe, a boy sing, uh, playing uh, in this uh, group uh, that was really, they impressed me very, very, very much. And so practically, I was in Europe, and in Europe I, I worked very much with my youth orchestra, and also I went to Vienna and to Japan for the Academy for Young Conductors. But in my mind, in my heart, was always when I go back to my orchestra, to Chicago and the wonderful city of Chicago. And so when I arrived, there was a very, of course, was a great emotion in me, in the orchestra and the musicians. They welcomed me with great enthusiasm, great love, and um, and so it was very touching. To uh, we started the Eroica the first rehearsal, Beethoven, Eroica, and I explained to the orchestra that the choice was uh, just the right choice because the title Eroica, Heroism, practically was the right title for musicians that had been um, without music, without the musical family for almost uh, two years. And to be again in the, this uh, concert hall uh, and to recreate, create again the sound that has been uh, ringing in these uh, wonderful halls for uh, more than a century. This uh, was, uh, I think that was uh, more than a century, it was uh, this old. And uh, so it was very, very, very emotional. And so uh, now I think they, I found the orchestra uh, with the, a, a greater energy that came from the desire to be again together and to, you know, the, an orchestra is a, a, a family. We should not forget that uh, musicians stay together every day uh, sharing uh, the same feelings through the interpretation of the same music. And so that uh, creates a sort of a brotherhood that was very present and was the reason why everybody was full of emotion at the first day. And still today, uh, that is, we uh, I just finished the rehearsal of the Pathétique, as you know. And uh, but in the third week of music making together, the atmosphere is still very, very, very fresh with the enthusiasm of the enthusiasm of the uh, the first day of uh, our meeting. I was at that first concert with the uh, Eroica and the, the opening night, and. 
I found it so much more emotional than I expected. And there was this feeling I had of that I've, I've been missing this and needing this so much more than I realized being in the hall, being with, you know, you and the musicians hearing that music. Um, and you gave a, a wonderful talk at the beginning where you basically discussed that point and, and talked about how culture is necessary and it's our blood. And, and you talked about the difference between culture and entertainment. What is it about this that makes it something that just nurtures our souls. The battle uh, in favor of uh, culture is something that I'm doing since many decades, uh, not only uh, in Italy, but uh, around uh, around the world, and also in this country since uh, uh, when I was in Philadelphia in the 70s, as 80s until 92, I did the same uh, war <laughs> battle in favor of culture. And, uh, uh, and now, during the COVID, uh, this uh, pandemic p long period, we have realized that uh, without culture, be we become uh, very uh, dry, very um, almost uh, um, the, uh, egotistic, you know, very egocentric. Uh, we don't communicate, uh, uh, we have not been communicating uh, for for almost two years, and uh, theaters were closed, orchestras couldn't play together, uh, and so uh, our life was clearly uh, without sun, without uh, uh, light, uh, uh, full of clouds, um, and uh, thank God now we are uh, going back to the real uh, music and the real culture um, especially the young generation uh, needs to have the the culture for their for their soul for their mind for their heart and uh, something has happened i think in positively because not only in italy but also here i uh, we have uh, seen that uh, uh, more young people are coming to the concerts for example the last concert that we did uh, the brahms violin concerto and uh, beethoven seventh symphony we had uh, many many young people so uh, that is a good sign because uh, I think that I now, you know, in my age, I, I know that uh, uh, people of my age in the world, we have not worked very well in favor of the young people. Uh, practically two generations of young people have been partially abandoned, you know, uh, in the sense that we have not the, given them the, the right direction we have been a bad example <laughs> in the world, I mean, generally, you know. Um, now I think that it's time uh, that uh, we feed the new generation with culture, not only with, as, I, as you said before, not entertainment. Entertainment is something that brings uh, uh, a joy for uh, one evening uh, or one hour, uh, no? Or, but uh, culture is something that feeds you for the entire life. And uh, only uh, true culture, harmony, beauty, that means brotherhood. The ancient Greeks used to say, buono e anche bello e giusto. What is good is also beautiful and just. And vice versa. What right. is just is also beautiful. And so uh, we have to go back if we want to save uh, the next generations in a world that today is full of wars, full of uh, uh, racism, um, full of uh, uh, children everywhere in the world that uh, die because uh, they don't have food, because they don't have medicaments. Uh, and so it's a very cruel world. And going in this direction, uh, the uh, mankind is going to kill itself. 
So we need to go back to spirituality and uh, uh, beauty with a capital B. Now, I don't want to give the impression to the people that are listening that I am San Francis from Assisi. <laughs> you know, I'm a normal uh, human being. Only that uh, I can, uh, I have children and grandchildren and uh, I fear for their future. That means I fear for the future all of all the young people today. We have to work for them and to take care also of the safety of our planet. It seems like, you know, you're talking about a world being more savage and mm. it's like it's that much more urgent to try to have people be more cultured certo. because because of all this other stuff going on so. si, si. but uh, uh, only culture not only one culture i think that the integration of people from all different countries uh, if they integrate and bring their culture that integrates with the, our western culture so i think that will be an enrichment for everybody When you're preparing a piece like the Eroica or uh, the Pathetic, uh, you've you've done these a lot of you, you've you've conducted these a lot of times. Are you able to find something new each time in the in the music and in the performance? Uh, every time I, I conduct a piece, even if I, I have conduct uh, I have conducted the piece one week before, I go through the score again and again and again. So many times I buy a new score without the signs, the, all the indications, the, 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 the marks, marking that I have put in the score, just to have a, a new, um, a fresh idea. And uh, I don't want to depend on what was my interpretation one year ago or 10 years ago. Uh, so I take a clean score and I started to study again. As I, this I did uh, uh, with the, all the symphonies of the repertoire that uh, I have recorded also several times, but it's always like to, to I like to start again. It's not just to avoid routine, but because uh, we change every day and uh, conducting new music, uh, having new uh, human experiences, uh, meeting new people, uh, not only uh, presidents of a nation uh, or, or a king or a queen, but uh, simple people. You learn something new. And everything, every experience that you have and you receive from the others goes directly in in the in the interpretation of the music you do, you're not aware but you have changed no you change and the, your change that you put in the in the music so every time is new when i hear uh, the, the pathetic that i uh, conducted today certainly as many differences uh, uh, with the pathetic that I conducted uh, three, four, five years ago, twenty years ago, thirty years ago, but I don't go in. The, I don't take a score thinking, oh, now I'm going to do something new, because then becomes too rational. Hmm? Right. And uh, so it's, you have to approach the music like it's the first time, it's like uh, something new, some a novelty, and the music will come to you uh, and you will absorb in a different way because you are different. We are different also from the beginning of our conversation, no? Right. Because if we were not different, we will be dead. <laughs> Do you go back to earlier recordings of yours and, and you know maybe find yourself surprised at choices you made then that you wouldn't make now? No, no I n never listen to my old recordings because uh, uh, I don't like to, uh, to examine uh, or to analyze what I was uh, uh, what, what I did in the past. Also uh, because I, uh, most of the time when I did this I didn't like what I did in the past. <laughs> So I prefer to look ahead and not behind. So you're, are you, so you're critical of yourself when you look Very back. much. So especially uh, also in the video when I don't like to see myself. <laughs> <laughs> when, when you step up to the orchestra to conduct a, a piece such as this, do you have in your mind how you want it to sound or, or does it sort of change based on how the musicians are actually playing it? 
Oh, no, I when you go in front of an orchestra of your orchestra or any orchestra, you must have very clear the idea uh, that you have of your interpretation and the sound that you want for different composers. So in Bach or, or Beethoven or Mozart or Haydn or Verdi or Wagner, you know different sounds. So you must have uh, clear. But that doesn't mean that uh, your idea should be inflexible, because from different orchestras uh, you have uh, different ideas also and if you are smart or intelligent and not stupid you can absorb something that can be interesting for you and to absorb and then transform in your uh, idea um, also it's very interesting that let's say the fifth beethoven symphony or a beethoven symphony is very you have your idea of today the idea that uh, of your interpretation and you try it, uh, your instrument is the orchestra so you have to convey to the musicians uh, the result of your studies and of your idea but it's interesting that you, the Berlin Philharmonic is different from the Vienna Philharmonic, from uh, the, uh, the the Orchestre National de France, or from the Dresden Staatskapelle, or from Chicago Symphony, or from Philadelphia Orchestra. I'm, I'm uh, mentioning all great orchestras. So everybody, every orchestra has a, its own culture, its own past. Had different music directors in the past that made the orchestra sound in a certain way to me. An instrument, they created the instrument that you have today. Uh, that is the result of new musicians. Uh, uh, so uh, the, the sound is made by the musicians that form the orchestra. So you have different uh, uh, sounds, different culture in different orchestras. An Austrian orchestra is different from a French orchestra in culture, in sound. So culture brings the, creates the sound. Right. And then so you have two different instruments and with two different instruments you have to realize your interpretation. But if you are intelligent, you can use certain qualities that are different in one orchestra from the other orchestra and use these qualities to make your interpretation even more interesting. Yep. So you'll go you'll go into a concert knowing, okay, I know what the Vienna Philharmonic sounds like or the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. Are when you're actually in the middle of a performance, are you ever surprised by what comes out back from the soloists or just the orchestra as a whole, or do you pretty much know what you what to expect at that? Point? No, no. Uh, I uh, since several several years, I conduct only four or five orchestras in the world. I don't like to. To, to meet new musicians, uh, orchestras that I have never conducted. And uh, among the orchestras that I have conducted, I now conduct uh, only you know, Vienna Philharmonic, Berlin Philharmonic of Chicago, because I'm the music director here, um, the Bayerisch Rund for Orchestra National. So very few orchestras but they know me very well. I know them very well. So when I go in front of these orchestras, I know already what kind of sound will come out. And if the sound doesn't correspond exactly to what I remember, then I work to trying to bring back to them the sound that they taught me to use. For example, the orchestra that the entire my life has been Vienna Philharmonic, as you know, for 50, now 51 continuous years i've conducted them every year for in tours recordings operas concerts uh, so i started when i was 30 years old with them and now that i'm 80 I, every year so i've seen two generations or three generations of musicians of the vienna philharmonic uh, alter, uh, changing no and uh, at the beginning um, i I absorbed the kind of sound that they have by tradition, the, the, that is a sound of the heart of Europe. And that was the sound that uh, uh, I knew at the beginning of my career and I liked. Uh, the, and uh, in fact, to every orchestra I go, every, uh, I try to bring that sound. So when I go back, if I find that uh, a new generation of musicians, uh, uh, so people that are not used anymore to see Karajan or Bernstein or Böhm or, or the great conductors of the past, that were able to create that sound because they knew their culture. So now the musicians are happy when I go back because I bring them what they taught me 50 years ago. Right. 
Do you do you ever get overwhelmed by sort of the beauty and emotion of a piece while you're conducting, or is it pretty much you know you're doing your job, so you can't really do that? No. Certainly, I don't like the word job. In in yeah. in, in, in uh, I a week I can pro- I call profession, or if sometime I even remind the musicians that our is a mission should, right. should be a mission. I don't want to sound too exaggerate, but it's a mission to bring richness of ideas of beauty to uh, the public. But when I conduct, I I don't like uh, the artists, interpreters. That uh, I, I try. I have to try to 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 explain myself without uh, making something <laughs> to be misunderstood. Let's take an actor on the stage. So don't speak about musician, an actor. A very good actor, according to the old uh, schools, European schools of uh, uh, theater, is somebody that makes the public cry, but he doesn't cry. Right. But he has to convey the emotion that brings the public to cry, to have tears, to have tears in their eyes, but he should not have tears. So practically, the the old school was that seventy percent you have to be always in control of. Uh, that doesn't mean that to be self conscious, as some critics say. Sometimes when they see a conductor or, or an actor that is very much in control, no. But thirty percent is the uh, belongs to the imagination, to the um, improvisation. But can you imagine if somebody starts to have tears on stage, then the public will start to laugh. No, <laughs> well, or, or maybe be moved. You never know. No, but that means uh, that uh, you are uh, not. Uh, you have to be in control of what you do. I mean, when I conduct the pathetic, even the most tragic moment, I I I, I convey my emotions to the players, but uh, I don't start to cry to feel that I'm dying uh, <laughs> you know that means so it's it's a very delicate uh, point uh, I don't want to be misunderstood I'm not saying that I'm cold on on the podium right but uh, no. cert- certainly, I don't think anyone would think that no that but always uh, uh, you have to be bring the emotion of the face as I said for example to the orchestra you heard I asked to uh, to have this line very noble but without uh, a lot of sugar that many times you hear no so that is not that you add emotion you become superficial and you try to reach the heart or the emotion of the public through something that is uh, uh, almost uh, dilettante, I don't know, capisci? Because it's very easy to... I think you said you didn't want it to sound too Clark Gable, was that what you said? No, I made a joke. I know, it was funny. <laughs> so I said Ingrid Bergman and Clark Gable, you know, sort of a romantic scene right. accompanied with the music of Tchaikovsky. <laughs> that, uh, no, Tchaikovsky admired the his idol was uh, Mozart, and uh, when uh, Tchaikovsky conducted the the the, fir- the premiere of the Pathetic, and was one week ten days before he died, and um, as the as uh, we know today that uh, he committed suicide. Mm? Mm. And he conducted the concert with the Pathetic, that was the premiere of uh, this uh, symphony. But in the first part of the program, he, he, he performed the ballet music of Idomeneo of Mozart. So when I visited the, 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 the home of Tchaikovsky in the country in Russia, um, uh, I saw on the piano the score of Don Giovanni of Mozart. So uh, uh, Tchaikovsky, uh, like Puccini in opera, has been always uh, um, used to, to in a, a, a exaggerated way. You know, uh, putting uh, uh, as I said before, sugar to sugar, just to make much more romantic. But uh, that is. Uh, uh, 
is a, a way not to give uh, nobility to composer to a composer that was very noble and never uh, trivial. Has there ever been a time where you really had to hold your emotions back because you became overwhelmed while you were conducting something? No. No, no. For example, one time I was uh, conducting the Vienna Philharmonic uh, uh, in Italy and I was doing the Bruckner Seventh Symphony. The adage of the Bruckner Seventh Symphony of, is one of the greatest pages of music. You know, it's like uh, going to heaven. And, uh, and I remember during the performance, uh, um, suddenly, uh, you know, this music belongs to that orchestra because Bruckner was Austrian. It was, uh, and so they feel this music uh, like a religious music for them. And uh, so at a certain point during the performance of the sacred movement, I felt something that uh, impressed me. So the sound and the emotion of the orchestra was even deeper than what I was asking for, you know? And that was something scary in a certain <laughs> way. So, uh, so, so I said, oh, but this is more beautiful than I am asking. <laughs> they are doing something even more beautiful than I have in mind. And that was, depend many times, this is a sort of miracle that depends of the, the whole, the public, the atmosphere, the happiness or no, non-happiness of the musicians, your happiness, your, so, so there are many elements that you cannot control. But in the moment I realized that something was more be beautiful than I expected, then disappeared hmm. and uh, went to beautiful normality. So that was something that I never explained why this sort of miracle happened. Maybe is uh, we because we have certainly an electricity inside. Some it was a combination of situations that uh, was out of my control. Maybe out of the control of the the musicians, but was created. And this is the miracle of music. That is why live performances are very important because the public can experience something that can bring to the unexpected you know a live performance as my teacher used to say when i go when i went on the stage you have prepared the orchestra very well you are very well prepared but uh, remember that when you go out there you are under the mercy of heaven hmm. no anything can happen and this is the why a live performance is very important. The public is there to witness something that is created in that moment, not a CD that you uh, plays always the same thing in the same way. Live performances are very important. Now, during the COVID, many people around the world, millions of people have experienced the streaming that is also important because if uh, I have a concert in Chicago on streaming can be seen in Alaska, uh, in South America, uh, so, so practically people that cannot travel or don't have the money to travel can hear a great orchestra like the Chicago Symphony and experience that. But the, the streaming that is something new and will become more and more um, uh, used in the future should never become a substitute of a live performance. Right. When you're when you're conducting, obviously the the audience is supposed to be quiet. Mm -hmm. How much does the audience somehow with its energy or whatever contribute to kind of the energy of the performance? Absolutely hundred percent. The audience, because the only the energy of the public is extremely important for us, is the exchange of energy. We through the sound we give the uh, emotions, but the emotion becomes more intense if we feel that the public, the silence of the public is full of energy. That means the public is listening carefully to what. Uh, and uh, is appreciating what we are doing. In the same way, we can feel a negative energy in the public, uh, even if the public is silent, we can feel 
Hmm. That the public is not with us. Uh, in the uh, silence, you can in feel the that. Si- yeah, there are two kinds of silence. Silence full of energy, a silence like dead, niente, huh. nothing. What's the, what's the more annoying audience behavior? One, coughing. Two, clapping between music m- movements. Or three, applauding before you've lowered your arms at the very end of the performance. I think the third one. Because there is always uh, the intelligent one that wants to show to the others that he knows that the, the music is over. He wants to show that he knows that it's finished. And many, many times the music needs also, the music continues in the silence. Mm-hmm. Especially certain pieces you, you need. I mean, if you do a, a polka of Strauss that uh, requires at the end, you know, sort <laughs> of... Uh, then you have the applause, etc. But if you do the Verdi Requiem, libera me, libera me domina de morte eterna, etc., libera, then you have to, it's important to have that silence full of mystery. But so the, the, to start to applaud, that is very annoying. You know, to cough, there are two different ways, or three different, or thousand different coughs. Uh, Sometimes, you know, it's normal that uh, you can put a handkerchief and uh, and cover and make less noise possible. What irritates me is when uh, it's without respect. You know, uh, the noise is uh, huge, uh, and uh, that is really uh, disturbing. The applause after a movement doesn't disturb me because. Uh, uh, at the time uh, of Brahms, uh, Beethoven, um, Verdi, etc., uh, the applause after each movement was a sign of success of the symphony, of the performance. Right. So uh, even uh, sometimes, uh, so not always, if the opera, for example, had a big success after the first act, the composer was called to go on stage and to take his bow. So things have changed today, but sometimes the applause that is natural after first movement is not a sign uh, of uh, ignorance. Sometimes it's because a sort of liberation yeah. of uh, the, what you, you have inside. And now in the Pathétique, uh, most of the time after the third movement uh, that is uh, ends in a very uh, loud and wild way, the, the public uh, applauds. But not, not uh, they, most of the time they don't applaud because they don't know that there is a fourth movement. No, right. applaud because they are tra- they are carried by the enthusiasm of uh, the music. I think that uh, in my experience, uh, I find much more hilarious uh, or irritating the fact the fact of uh, uh, many many years ago, uh, a critic, uh, a music critic, uh, was speaking with another person, and they started the conversation. It was the opera was Cavalleria Rusticana, you know, of Mascagni, and the critic said, uh, "Oh, okay, now they st- the performance is starting. Let's continue after the first act." And the Cavalier Rusticani is only one act. <laughs> so that, that, that is bad, you know, <laughs> considering there was, there was a professional music critic. <laughs> when you're going home to just relax, do you listen to music? Do you no, read, no, no. Do you read novels? No. Do you watch TV? What do you do? Uh, no, no. I'm very lazy. I'm Neapolitan, uh, but uh, <laughs> but Neapolitan doesn't mean lazy. But I like uh, I like uh, to 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 think, to stay because my activity is very um, very intense. You know, studying scores for hours, 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 uh, traveling, rehearsals, meetings, etc. So when I go home, I have my animals. Uh, the, in uh, one fantastic dog uh, at home, a Maltese, uh, one year old, two years old. Name? Mm, uh, uh, the Cooper. Cooper. Cooper see, the Maltese. See, Cooper the Maltese, but I called him Coopy. K 
K-U-P-Y. Okay. And uh, then uh, in, in the country near Ravenna, where I live, 20 kilometers outside Ravenna, in the country we have uh, two donkeys mm. from Sardinia, small donkeys, uh, many rabbits, uh, then uh, uh, many chicken, roosters, uh, some birds from Cairo, from Nile, the Nile, in the Egypt. So we have uh, so many, many animals, and uh, they are fantastic. The donkeys are very, really very, very, very intelligent. So I've changed now the fact that we, in Italy, when we say that somebody's stupid, we say that you're stupid like a donkey. But it's wrong because do- donkeys <laughs> are more intelligent than it's the horses. It's an insult to the donkey to say that too. <laughs> so the, the the it's interesting. The name uh, they are, how do you say, pure sangue, pure purebred. Si. Uh, from Sardinia, and uh, one that um, so when we we, we uh, took the the the, um, the donkeys, uh, they were three four months old. They had already the names. Uh, one is Gaetano, that Gaetano. is a, Gaetano, Italian name, and the, the other one uh, that is a white, completely white with the blue eyes. See, it's a, it's a, they come from Sardinia, in a part of Sardinia called Asinara, and it is a special race, white with blue eyes, um, and his name is Lampo. Lampo. Lightning. Okay. See, 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 see. And they are so beautiful and so patient and so, so friendly. More, sometimes more, more friendly than uh, uh, people. <laughs> so, what do you do with the donkeys? Do you just sort of spend time with them? You pet see, them? See, see, they, 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 they walk or, or run in the big garden that uh, we have there, and so I feed them, and they come to. Uh, and uh, one time I was studying in uh, in my house, at home in the country. So I was studying a score of music. And uh, so I heard behind me, tuk, 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 tuk. I said, well, what, uh, what is this noise? And there were the two donkeys that, that uh, <laughs> uh, they, they circulate in the house. They, they go every, in all the rooms. You uh, let them in the house? Si, si. Okay. They come in, they go out, they come in, and it's in the house they don't touch anything. They are very respectful. <laughs> <laughs> They're well-behaved donkeys. Do you watch TV at all? Do you watch see, series or movies? See, or? I like uh, uh, horror movies, vampires, and uh, westerns, and sometimes also important uh, movies uh, of great uh, uh, directors like Fellini, um, Visconti, or Almodovar. Uh, right. uh, Clint Eastwood made uh, very good uh, films in the last years, no? but uh, he has t- uh, turned to be a great uh, film director. Some of the best westerns were made in Italy. Sergio Leone. Uh, Once Upon a Time in the West and uh, See, Good, Bad, Sergio and Leone, yeah. because they were made in a very intelligent uh, way, very romantic and very meaningful. Mm. I love those scores, too. I actually recently bought uh, the the uh, the record album of uh, the soundtrack to Once Upon a Time in the West. It's beautiful. Sì. Bello. Sì, sì. Very beautiful. C'era una volta l'Ouest. Mm-hmm. Sì, in Italian. Uh, right. The, 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 do you read? Do you read novels? Do you like mysteries? Do you read history books? No, no. I like. I mean, uh, uh, no, I uh, read when I have time. Or I, I, I read uh, Dante. You know, the Dante is the father of everything in, right. in Italy. So escapist, and, right? Hmm? Escapist novels. You'll read Dante on the beach. No, on the beach I don't do anything. I just take the sun. <laughs> no, no, no. You, uh, why should ruin my presence, <laughs> my staying on the beach reading Dante? The two things don't go together. Right. So, that was true. No, no. The beach, when I go to the beach, I do nothing. I go in the water and I go out and I take uh, the sun. That's it. And uh, Dante, but Dante... You know, for, an, for uh, an Italian, of course, in the rest of the world, uh, they have the commedia translated in different languages. But uh, the original language is, uh, for us, extremely important uh, because uh, he's, he's, he was the father of the Italian language, you know. Uh, and uh, he speaks about uh, so many uh, things uh, uh, that... Uh, 
historically also is very important. Important, and this, uh, he, you know, he was born in Florence, as you know, as uh, but he died in, and he spent his last years in Ravenna, hmm. the city where right. I, I, I live. Actually, is uh, a monument that the grave where he's uh, buried is 200 meters uh, from my house, so uh, practically I can go to the tomb of uh, Dante wow. in, in uh, three minutes. Uh, it's, uh, and uh, it gives a sense of uh, the, the fact that you have Dante uh, there in a, a town, a city that one time was the capital of the Byzantine Empire and before of the Roman Empire. Wow. Ravenna, full of uh, monuments of uh, of the fourth century, of the fourth, fifth century. You feel uh, lucky to stay in a city uh, that has so much history. You have, you have a sense of history in a place like that, that in nowhere in the United States would you feel that, because it's just such yeah, a newer... Yeah, but uh, the modern history is recent. Uh, yeah. You know, I had a different culture uh, uh, before, that uh, the Indians that were uh, were here, no? And they had uh, an important culture. Absolutely. That they are trying to, um, to, 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 to bring back, no? This is extremely important. But as you see in the pictures that I have here, you have Napoli, the fantastic gold of Naples with the Vesuvio, the volcano in the back, and then on the right is Castel del Monte, the last castle b built by Friedrich Hohenstaufen, that was the king of uh, the, uh, the Napoli mm. uh, the, in the 13th century. And uh, so I, I bought a piece of land just one kilometer under the castle. Yeah, because that castle was the first thing that I saw when I was five years old in Puglia. That is in Puglia on the Adriatic uh, coast. That is the Tyrrhenian coast, and that is uh, on the Adriatic uh, near the Adriatic coast. And uh, so these are the two important parts. I was born there and I grew up there. Wow. And uh, on the left, you see. Uh, the door of uh, in Napoli where I was born <laughs> that I was born in that, uh, that place and here I am surrounded by some elements Toscanini with Nino Rota the, that wrote the, the music of uh, Fellini my teacher with Maria Callas uh, and then uh, the Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip when he came to La Scala the Emperor of Germany so this is I have created in this room elements of my life, some, some at least. And it's nice for you to be surrounded by that and reminded see, of all see, these, see, see, these see, things. Because it really it's, it's, it's my life, so practically I'm happy to be here to see the picture of the first Chicago Symphony Orchestra uh, yeah, on your uh, uh, behind you, the first first orchestra. You see all men, all without, all all with a beard. <laughs> it's a it's a very large picture that's photographed that's right behind the the couch in uh, Maestro Muti's office here, and it's a sort of sepia toned, and yeah, everyone has a mustache. Uh, some of them have beards too. Theodore Thomas. The Theodore Thomas, uh, circa 1900, in the Auditorium Theater, which see. is still... So that, that is the beginning of this uh, fantastic uh, history of this great orchestra. So you've got the history of you and the history of the orchestra in see, here. See, see. Of, of, of everyone who you've met in, in all of your career, like you, you have the, the Queen up there and everything, who, was there anyone you were most nervous to meet? No. No, no, I was never, never, uh, because uh, when you have good roots, as I had uh, good, uh, very good uh, parents, uh, very good uh, teachers, uh, so they, I grew up knowing that every person is the same, is, is, we are all the same or equal. So I have met in my life uh, many uh, kings, queens, uh, presidents, emperors, Pope. ministers, uh, tutis, is it? from Gorbachev to Putin, uh, Queen Elizabeth, uh, King of Sweden. So, but always I respected them, but I uh, always had in mind that we are practically made by the same substance. And when we die, we are all 
equal when we die. The, the king stops to be king. Right. The music director of the Chicago Symphony stops to be the music director. So we are all the same. So that's the reason I had always respect. I had the privilege to meet these important people, but I never felt nervous. But this should not be taken as a sign of arrogance. Actually, the contrary. I, we, are all, we are all the same. The richest, uh, the, the most powerful person in the world and the poor peasant in the south of Italy are the same people. No, and I'm, and I'm sure you've met people who are not famous who've accomplished a lot and are inspiring to you in ways that, you know, people wouldn't even know. Many times I've been inspired by simple people that uh, had, uh, uh, that, that, uh, who were very wise and had a concept of uh, and a philosophy about life that was much more deep uh, than the philosophy of uh, 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 professional philosophers. What do you think is the most misunderstood aspect of what you do as a sort of conductor and music director? Uh, uh, I don't know because I should inquire people. Uh, I don't know. I I I do my work. Uh, I try to to be honest and uh, to try to 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 do my best. What makes me uh, gives me the uh, uh, and can give the impression that uh, I am too uh, not arrogant but uh, sure of myself is the fact that. Uh, uh, in all my career, I was music director in Florence, in, in uh, uh, London with the Philharmonia in Philadelphia, the great Philadelphia Orchestra, La Scala for 20 years, now Chicago. I have been always uh, asked by the musicians to become their music director. So I never uh, had to have the uh, the help of a, a powerful politician, of a powerful agent. So that g gives me uh, the a certain uh, solidity. You know, I I'm here because the orchestra wanted me here, and uh, so for the rest, what the other think, I I don't care so much. Or maybe uh, now at my age, <laughs> there is an American expression that I learned. Uh, here, but I will not repeat. <laughs> you know, I don't care. Uh, not uh, I repeat. It's not a sign of arrogance. What is important? I'm trying to do my best. Not for me, because at the age, in my age, at 80, I I had my career. I had my success. I was helped by destiny. But I was always very honest and very well prepared in front of the orchestra. And that's the reason why uh, 12 years now, 11, 12 years with the Chicago Symphony, we never had uh, a friction, never had uh, a bad moment. It was always, as you saw in the rehearsals, very, they play with great enthusiasm. And there is also an atmosphere where we can laugh, we can smile but always knowing that music is always something with a capital M. Musicians respect a conductor not only if he knows well his, his work, but if he's honest in front of the musicians that doesn't try to you know to play something else you know like uh, is different many conductors uh, in front of the orchestra they try to impress the musicians with the uh, attitude or you know to be try to be flamboyant or try to musicians immediately understand who they have in front of them so I think that always my secret, if you want to say a secret, in front of musicians, I was always very natural, and, and I never tried to conquer their uh, uh, appreciation or, or their friendship. I think a lot of people associate conducting with this sort of, I think what you would call traffic signals, where you're sort of, you know, like sort of keeping time when you're triangular. It's far beyond that, obviously. What is what is the most important thing you're actually doing, aside from the thing that people see and think you know, is what you're doing? The problem today, because of the society, people, the society and the public is visual. The people want to see more than want to hear. 
So uh, now the conducting is becoming a sort of athletic activity on the podium. Uh, in fact, many times you read in the newspapers about some uh, conductors uh, that are, they are dynamo or they are very energetic or this is just, that has nothing to do with music. Richard Strauss, the great composer and conductor of Fritz Reiner, one of the greatest conductors that was con the music director in the Chicago Symphony, or Ormandy, Karajan, uh, they almost did a move on the podium. Now it's becoming very fashionable that uh, conductors uh, jump, they cry, they, 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 they make all kinds of faces, they open their mouth like a shark, yeah, they adjust their hair, uh, all these things that have nothing to do with music, but impresses the public when it's, the public is not cultivated enough. So I, um, I think that uh, the gesture, the, the, the arms, Toscanini, uh, always said that the arms are the extension of your mind. So you have to use the arms very carefully just to put together 100 people that have to play together. But they, the, the real work of the conductor is during the rehearsals when he gives to the musicians, uh, he conveys his ideas the ideas of his interpretation. But today is becoming the contrary. The, the rehearsals are very poor. Of course, there are exceptions. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, the, the orchestra doesn't receive really uh, good uh, musical indications, but at the moment of the conductor, they have somebody that jumps, does all kinds of movements to impress uh, the people. Uh, and so this is not uh, uh, very promising for the future. Hmm? Do you think younger conductors are learning what you yearn, learned? I, when I uh, meet the young conductors, the first thing that I ask, uh, what is your activity? And they say, uh, uh, what, do, what do you study? And they say, say they, the, the answer is, I study conducting. And they say, that I, always my answer is, that doesn't mean anything. You don't study conducting, you study music. And uh, uh, you should study composition, as I did in Italy. I studied composition for 10 years. I have a degree in piano, I studied the violin very well. So then you become a conductor, that, uh, but the arms are just to, to control that the orchestra is together or give the expression of what you want. It's not, uh, uh, now in America especially, they have books about conducting. You think that Toscanini or Furt Wengler or Bruno Walter or Klemperer, uh, uh, they studied conducting in the books? They didn't exist at that time. The books didn't exist about now. Right. Everything is becoming technical, you know, the technique. Of course, you must uh, have a technique, but that is, uh, should be natural. As my teacher said, when I, uh, we asked, uh, uh, how should I do this bar? How should I conduct this? And uh, he always said, uh, just try in front of the orchestra. Until you don't break your nose in front of the musicians, you will never learn. Right. If you had someone who said, you know, oh, I don't really know classical music, is there like one piece you would say, well, you should listen to this, and this is this is the best one to start with? No, no, I don't uh, uh, believe in this, the piece the, to start. To start really is, uh, uh, as I'm trying to do in, it, in Italy now, to start in the elementary school, even before, uh, in the kindergarten, no? to help the, the young boys and girls, i bambini, the children, children, to enter in this forest of sounds, uh, making them happy in finding this theme, the other theme, no, this motive, the other motive. Of course, you can even start with Bach, with a fugue of Bach, where there is a, a theme, there is a contra theme, and then if you start with the, 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 the children say, this is the theme sing it and then you play the fuga and every time the team comes back you must no tell me oh 
I recognize this. So should be a sort of a divertimento, should uh, be a joy uh, for the children, not a solfeggio or to uh, do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, si, do, you know, that is very boring, uh, uh, or, or have a, a, a small flute in the mouth uh, to play pi, 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 that you don't have you will never bring anybody to love music but you have to find ways where they become as i said uh, they can walk naturally in the forest of the sounds it's a, it's a, can be done but it's wrong to say i okay i uh, the, i take the barbarous wheel i play that and then the boy or the girl immediately likes this uh, team and uh, likes uh, likes music that is not the system <laughs> it's a scientific method that you then sing together but not sing only the national anthem to sing uh, some melodies where they enjoy doing this and then little by little you have people that uh, are attracted uh, taken by this the music others that naturally don't don't want because they don't so uh, I am against the fact that uh, uh, this piece is important to start. Right. And, uh, no, there is a method. I think I think that there's an intimid. I think some people are intimidated by classical music because they feel like, oh, I need to understand this better. Yeah. And and that's uh, and, and, and them learning it at an early age is a way to get over this. It's, uh, this is a very important uh, subject. In music, there is nothing to understand. I repeat. In music, there is nothing to understand. I am a professional musician. When I do a symphony, I understand, when I study the symphony, I understand the architecture, the harmony, the contrapoint, the modulations, the dynamic, so these are the objective part of a score, no? And I, but what, as Mozart said, what is behind this? This remains a mystery. When I say uh, Tchaikovsky pathetic, I know exactly the form, the, how it's built, no? All the elements, concrete elements, objective elements that I, I know, the exposition, the development, the coda, the dynamic, all these things. But behind this note, there is the infinite. And that nobody can understand. You can feel. So you can have somebody that knows very well how a symphony is built, but doesn't go in the mystery like somebody that doesn't know how a symphony is built but naturally right. feels something so uh, i always uh, was uh, very upset when in a concert hall people said oh you know that person he understands he is a competent he knows doesn't exist. What knows? And now some people have uh, of a, about an, an interpretation of symphony Beethoven symphonies, thirty different interpretations, and they listen and they listen, they listen, and they think that they know. No, they 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 know the the music, but what is behind the music or the music conveys that a very simple person without any knowledge of music can feel more than the so-called uh, competent that knows. Uh, so I, my advice is always has been and is don't be afraid to go in a concert hall to sit there and to absorb the music in a very simple and natural way. And if somebody says that uh, somebody else is a uh, knows, he knows, just stay away because <laughs> it can be only dangerous to your natural feelings. Absolutely. All right, final question. You just uh, signed a contract to extend your time at the Chicago Symphony through the 22-23 season. Mm -hmm. uh, what happens after that? 
you know, the Forza del Destino of Verdi, Verdi, Forza del Destino, the, the, the Padre Guardiano, the chief of the monks, when a question was asked like this, he said, Chi può leggere nel futuro? Who can read in the future what, what will happen in the future? Maybe I will be dead. I don't know. Or maybe, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. Certainly, my love for the orchestra, for this great orchestra, will, uh, will uh, remain. And uh, uh, I will come back to, uh, uh, to make music with them. So you consider staying on if you are still happy and everything? Sì, sì, I am in, uh, in very good physical conditions uh, and uh, so if uh, I certainly I will make music with Chicago or Vienna or Berlin until uh, I am uh, in, in this. Uh, but I hate uh, conductors that uh, they cannot even walk on stage and uh, because then it becomes pathetic. But there are conductors like Blomstedt, for example, he's 94 and he's in perfect form. So it's not a question of age, it's a question of uh, how is your health and your mind. Right. No, that this is. Until now, it's okay. Tomorrow, we don't know. Your energy. And it's better never to ask what will be tomorrow. <laughs> there you go. Well, thank you so much, uh, Maestro Mucci. It's a pleasure. It's, it's wonderful having you here. I really appreciate Grazie it. Grazie infinite. Thank you. Right. Thank, you. thank you so Ciao. much. That's a wrap on episode five of the Carol Pop podcast. Thanks so much to Ricardo Muti, music director of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. Maestro Muti will return to the Symphony Center podium on February 17th to begin two weeks of concerts with the orchestra. Check CSO.org for more information. The next Carol Pop guest will be REM producer, Let's Active band leader, and indie rock legend, Mitch Easter. If you're a fan of 80s jangly guitar rock, you are in for a treat. Thank you to Marty Rosenbaum, master web developer, and Lou Carlozo, the producer-engineer who recorded this interview as well as the Carol Pop theme. For productions engineering and arranging work, check out Karma Productions Worldwide and email Lou at lou at quoted.com. That's L-O-U at Q-W-O-T-E-D dot com. The Carol Podcast is a production of the one and only Chris Swake who knows how to make the buzzing go away. Thank you, Chris. I'm Mark Caro. Please follow me on Twitter, at Mark Caro. That's at M-A-R-K-C-A-R-O. And visit the Caro Pop website, C-A-R-O-P-O-P dot com for more posts about music, movies, food, and also the Caro Pop podcast. Thanks. Thanks.